This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. Amid all the discussions among lawmakers of inflation, rising interest rates, and high gas prices, very little is raised on the shockingly low minimum wages that low-wage workers continue to earn across the U.S. A newly released Oxfam report finds that more than 50 million Americans earn less than $15 an hour. People of color and women are disproportionately impacted. Women of color are the hardest hit, with up to 70% of working women in some states earning less than $15 an hour. My guest is Dr. Caitlin Henderson, Senior Research Advisor with Oxfam America's U.S. Domestic Policy Program. She's the author of the new report, The Crisis of Low Wages in the U.S. Welcome to the program, Dr. Henderson. Thank you. So first, of course, it should come as no surprise to us that many people still earn less than $15 an hour. Unfortunately, many lawmakers consider $15 an hour to be too high because our federal minimum wage remains at $7 and change. And various states have changed their laws, but many states haven't. So how is it that we still are at it, you know, living in a country where it is legal in some states to pay people as little as $7 an hour? And of course, for tipped workers, it's even less. Gas costs five or six dollars a gallon right now. I know it is shocking, especially considering that this is the highest inflation has been in four decades. And even if someone is making $15 an hour, that breaks down to $31,200 a year before taxes. And so realistically, with inflation, especially hitting people at the pump, people who are paying rent, housing prices have gone through the roof, and so have food prices. And so what we're seeing is that even people who do make $15 an hour are having a hard time keeping a roof over their head and food on the table. This is not enough for an individual to live, much less a working family. So let's talk about how the um, wages, the low wages in particular, impact people of color. Um, and also tell me about the states where the situation is, is worse than other states. I understand that your report includes an interactive map for you know people who might be curious about their own state to see where things are really bad. So what's the geographic distribution and how are people of color impacted? Sure. So starting with the geographic distribution, where we're seeing states with really high numbers of people making less than $15 an hour, is in the South. And a lot of states that have not risen their minimum wages above the federal standard of $7.25, we're seeing, of course, higher proportions of people who make less than 15. And a lot of those states that don't have a higher minimum wage are in the South, but not exclusively. There are some states sort of in the Rocky Mountain region that also have a higher proportion of people making less than 15. And that speaks to really low minimum wages in those states. It also speaks to some of the industries that really predominate in those states. You know, a lot of the places where people work that do make $15 or less are some of the industries that only two years ago we considered essential. And we were celebrating those workers as heroes. I'm thinking of people who pick, cook, and deliver our food. All of these hero workers that are now and have been earning poverty wages, which is totally unacceptable. And to the point of the question of why are people of color so disproportionately represented and women in these low wage workers, 
the truth is that this really reflects the history of minimum wages in this country. When the minimum wage was created after the Great Depression, the workers that were excluded from that were domestic workers, farm workers, and restaurant workers, which at that time were overwhelmingly Black workers and especially Black women. And the echoes of that history can still be felt excuse me, today, where low-wage workers are disproportionately women, people of color, and as you mentioned, women of color especially. So uh, your report also breaks down specifically how these, you know, really non-living wages uh, impact Black workers and Latino workers. Um, you mentioned the history of Black workers being impacted, and particularly in the South, that legacy remains alive. So if you can expand on that, and also specifically how Latino workers are impacted, because it's it's useful to hone in on the details of how wages are impacting different communities. Yes, absolutely. So Black and Latino workers in the United States often are the recipients of occupational segregation. Certain industries have disproportionate representation of Black and Latino workers, including hospitality, restaurants, farm working, and domestic workers. One of the industries that really comes to mind is actually childcare workers. Childcare workers are disproportionately women of color, and childcare is one of the lowest paid professions in the United States. And it reflects really the value system that we have in this country. Unfortunately, what is considered women's work is deeply undervalued. And when women and women, and when you think about it through an intersectional lens where you're considering race and gender, the pay gap increases substantially. And so there are certain industries that are just disproportionately represented, both as low wage industries, but also that employ people of color, including Black and Hispanic slash Latino workers. And so when we uh, look at these statistics where the minimum wage is impacting certain communities of color disproportionately, doesn't that contribute, I mean, not just directly to inequality, uh, racial inequality, but percolates in so many different aspects. I imagine that it fuels things like housing segregation, school segregation. Um, if communities of color are, you know, have their wages remaining suppressed relative to, say, white workers, or women's wages are suppressed relative to men's wages, that percolates into the broader society, right? Absolutely. It becomes a question of what's often termed generational wealth. So it's not just a question of what an individual is amassing in terms of their income. It's also what are they amassing in terms of their, in terms of ownership and in terms of what can be then given to family members. And so we see huge disparities in generational familial wealth between communities of color and white communities. And this has so much to do not only with the wage gap, but also as you were saying, housing discrimination, the history of redlining, the realities of occupational seg segregation, as I was mentioning before. So there is a really long history here that we can trace back a very long way. And the, the realities of those early decisions, including in the 19th and early 20th century, are still being felt today. So let's talk about what needs to happen, because very importantly, your um, report includes recommendations. Um, this is not a shocking problem. We, none of us should be really surprised in hearing that wages have remained so low for so many Americans and that they disproportionately impact communities of color, short of states 
where the minimum wage remains lower than $15 an hour, raising it, short of them doing that. What is a simple thing that can be done at the federal level? You point out there's the Raise the Wage Act that Congress could pass. Yes, exactly. And so what we really need is the federal government to step in. As much as Oxfam absolutely does applaud certain states raising their own minimum wages, this is creating a patchwork in this country where where you live decides whether or not you are functionally in poverty. So we really need the federal government to step in and create a, a shared higher wage. And the Raise the Wage Act already exists. This is a fantastic policy solution. If it's in Congress right now, if it were to pass, the minimum wage would be lifted to $15 an hour by 2025. And importantly, it would get rid of some of the sub-minimum wages that exist today for people like tipped workers and student workers and the exclusions for certain workers with disabilities, which is a really important that this would be a great step towards creating a universal minimum wage or a wage for all workers, a minimum wage for all workers. So that is, a, is exciting that there is a solution. We just need people to sort of gain the political will to put that forward and to push it through and make it a law. What are the ways um, can what what are the ways in which Congress can be pushed into passing this? Because unfortunately, we tend to have a bottleneck when it comes to getting legislation through Congress. No matter you know, even if there's a strong public uh, support for particular laws, if those laws are seen as deeply politicized, if one party doesn't want to give political points to the other party they tend to die in the in the Senate or in, sometimes in the House. So how can the case be made? You know, this shouldn't be a partisan issue, right? We're just talking about raising the wage. There's no uh, culture war aspect to this, I, am, I would hope. <laughs> I could not agree more. This is not a culture war and it is not a partisan issue. This is just very simply do we want working families to be able to keep a roof over their head and food on their table? And I think that the answer is yes, regardless of what your political affiliation is. One of the reasons Oxfam wanted to do this report and create the interactive map that you had mentioned earlier is to really empower individuals to understand what the situation is for them locally. And for individuals to have the information to then call their senator, call their congressperson, and really advocate for this policy change. It is not a partisan issue. It is an issue of inequality. And this is a simple solution to help combat poverty. How much worse did the situation get during the pandemic? You referred earlier to essential workers. Um, before the pandemic, there had been a growing push to raise the minimum wage, particularly in the fast food industry and other industries to $15 an hour. Was there a setback during the pandemic or, or was there progress made given that we do have seem to be in a moment where workers aren't tolerating uh, indignities at work and low wages, they're resigning in mass numbers. There are growing numbers of labor organizing efforts taking place and successful efforts at places like Starbucks. Um, so where did the sort of labor movement push for higher wages? What, what happened to it during the pandemic? Well, one of the things that we saw during the pandemic is a huge movement of workers deciding that they were no longer willing to put up with sub-minimum wages or or rather 
very low wages, and they were no longer willing to put up with being treated poorly. And so what's often termed the great resignation was really sparked by the pandemic. And the result of workers demanding more is why we're often seeing some of these wage hikes at the corporate level. Individual businesses are choosing to, act, to provide or to offer higher wages because they're responding to worker demands. So a lot of the credit here really does go to workers who are organizing themselves and asking for more, which we really applaud. But as I mentioned earlier, one of the things that is so shocking about our report and about these numbers is the same workers that are disproportionately represented and those making less than $15 an hour are essential workers that we have been celebrating and lauding over the last two years, some of whom were even named heroes and given what was called hero pay, which was a temporary increase in their wage. A tiny, so the tiny fact increase. <laughs> very small increase yeah. and temporary. Yeah. And even still, the people that we were very recently celebrating as heroes, this is a year ago that we were celebrating workers and calling them heroes. It is unfathomable that in this country, the way we treat our quote unquote heroes is by locking them in a poverty wage. It's completely inappropriate. Let's also finally talk about how we might be able to use this report, um, maybe even at the state level or the local level, if, um, again, short of Congress uh, doing the right thing, which sometimes is difficult to pin these hopes uh, to. Are there ways in which you know, people, particularly in the South, whereas your map points out things are dire, uh, push their law, state lawmakers into raising the minimum wage. I mean, we hear all of this uh, hue and cry about rising gas prices. Lawmakers appear to sympathize with how difficult it is for workers who have to you know, put gas in their cars to commute, uh, to be able to afford to do all of this. Well, one easy solution is to raise the minimum wage. Um, there's all this talk about inflation and the rising cost of basic foods. Um, again, increasing the minimum wage would fix that, right? That's absolutely true. And so one of the things that we're excited about with this product project is, again, we're trying to really empower people with information that they can use for themselves. So if you do live in a state that already has a higher minimum wage, you can help advocate for the state to create an equal tipped minimum wage, which means that restaurant workers and tipped workers will get the same minimum wage as everyone else, which is one great way to lift people out of poverty. You can also advocate for an end of wage gaps that are gendered and racialized. That's another awesome opportunity. In the South, one of the things that we've seen that is very exciting is that people can kind of band together and get a ballot initiative passed to raise the minimum wage, even if there's not the political will at the state house. Right. The most recent example of that is Florida. Florida in 2021 passed a ballot initiative that raised their minimum wage, and that was the result of people organizing themselves. So there is great examples of how this can be done. There's absolutely opportunity. There just needs to be some enthusiasm behind it and some good organizing. And I think we can all really take a note out of the books of labor organizers who really show us how this can be done. Uh, give out a website where people can find out more about Oxfam's work and also check out the uh, report directly. Absolutely. So the report can be found at oxfamamerica.org slash low wage report 2022. 
And the interactive map can be found at oxfamamerica.org slash low wage map 2022. Caitlin Henderson, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. My guest has been Dr. Caitlin Henderson, Senior Research Advisor with Oxfam America's U.S. Domestic Policy Program. She's the author of the new report, The Crisis of Low Wages in the U.S. I'm Sonali Kolhatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website, risingupwithsonali.com, by becoming a subscriber. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RU with Sonali.